0: This is Radio Catskill. We're public radio for the Catskills in Northeast Pennsylvania. We're a genuine status symbol because you can put us on whatever radio or device you've already have. It doesn't even have to be a radio in a very fancy car. WJFF Jeffersonville. That's it for the local edition. We'll be back next week. Uh, Sorry, James B. Huntington and Leah May will be back next week. We'll be back tomorrow night because we do this five nights a week. Don't forget we have special programming because of uh, January 6. Tomorrow morning, starting at nine, from NPR. And uh, stay tuned. We've got uh, trailer talk coming up, and uh, we'll talk more about COVID in the area and mask distribution.
1: Your NPR station for the Catskills and Northeast Pennsylvania, Radio Catskill. Keeping you connected.
2: Welcome to Sabrina Artel's Trailer Talk. I'll bring you all kinds of stories from all kinds of people. Whether it's a live public conversation and we're speaking from the kitchen table of my 1965 Beeline Travel Trailer, from the studios or on the streets, please sit back and enjoy the conversation right here this time every week. I am at the Transportation Center in Sullivan County. I'm in what is a big warehouse structure. It's the end of December, 2021. We're approaching the new year. I came to this building to get K-N95 masks. It's a program through the county. And um, Laura, thank you so much. This is a very spontaneous sort of thing. I jumped out of my car and I'm gonna be speaking with Laura Quigley and the other uh, people who are here
3: Uh, greeting people and and giving them masks. Hi, I'm Laura Quigley. I'm the Commissioner of Community Resources Division for Sullivan County.
2: Well, Laura, it's so great to speak to you again. The last time we spoke, it was 2020. We were really uh, in in the beginning of the pandemic. We're starting a new year. Why don't we begin with this program itself, since we're now in another crisis with COVID with Omicron.
3: Well, Sabrina, it's kind of like, here we go again. <laughs> here we go again. So we are very fortunate that the state gave us over 34,000 KN95 masks. So what we're doing over the next couple of days is distributing those masks to housing complexes, businesses, organizations, and individual families, um, which is wonderful. I'm glad we can do it, but we really wish we didn't have to do it. We were brought into this. We were like, OK, we know how to do this. We're fine. We got it. and. Um, we were really hoping this would be done and we wouldn't be doing this. So it's like, I don't know, little PTSD. <laughs> Let's talk about that. I know
2: I feel a weariness. We're entering the new year and I feel so grateful to be here, to have made it to this point in this new world that we're in. And I always hope for a new world that has improvements and that we've learned from what's gotten exposed. But also a new world because things really have been in crisis mode for almost two years. We're in the new year, 2022. So this PTSD that you're talking about, that's a very real thing. And I've begun to connect with even how I've been feeling through this time. So could you share with our listeners, what do you mean about that, both personally and also with your
3: position in the county? It just it's not ending. Right. So we keep going through this again and again. We've continued all along to deliver food to people. We've continued to be able to provide services and resources, which we are so grateful to be able to do and to have a county government, a legislator and legislature and county manager that are just like, go do. Right. Mm-hmm. So very, very grateful for that. Very glad we can do this. Glad I am blessed with such an amazing group of people to work with those are all the positives and the wonderful things is that we can do all this um, but you do get tired of it you know we have a lot of work that we want to do a lot of things that we could be doing to move our programs forward and to move the services that we do forward and we get five steps ahead and then here we go again and so it gets a little frustrating but it's okay because we know how to do this so it's like we're i'm glad that we're here that we're here to do this for the community that's great
4: Alan. Mick Brickle.
3: Hi, Alan. I'm Sabrina.
2: You're here in this uh, transportation warehouse. You've just picked up some KN95 masks. So what are you hoping for in this new year?
4: I'm really just hoping for things to return to a little bit of normalcy. You know, uh, it sounds like COVID is going to go on and on and on and be part of us for years to come. And we have to find ways to cope effectively and to embrace all the issues that are are surrounding COVID.
2: And what are some of those issues you're referring to?
4: Well, you know, people don't want to get vaccinated. People swear they should get vaccinated. Um, you know, the, people are fighting against each other and people should wear masks and people shouldn't wear masks. And, you know, there's no sense of harmony or willingness to work with one another to understand all the issues and not just take sides we're taking sides a lot and we're not working together so i hope the people won't just be taking sides that they'll be reaching out to the other side for understanding and guidance and help and for us to pull together in this new year
2: in terms of kind of this idea of reaching to the other side or contending with how this makes you feel? Anything you want to share about that?
4: Find avenues for opening dialogues, whatever that happens to be, whether it's at the community meetings, whether it's at religious services, whether it's in commercial places, to find ways to connect with people at a higher, higher level, at a higher plane, really. Thank
2: you so much for speaking with me.
4: You're welcome. It's a new year, and let's, let's start anew.
2: All right, I'm back. Lord. you were talking about the outreach that has been happening since the beginning of the pandemic, the needs in the county, kind of being here again, this feeling of, I said, weariness. Feel free to jump in.
5: Speak your mind. My boss just hit me, so I, I better jump, jump in here. <laughs> I'm Lisa Duhl. I am the director of the Office for the Aging. And I am very grateful to be working with this fantastic group of people that are keeping us sane throughout this insanity. As Office for the Aging, we are serving the folks that are most impacted if they get this virus, whatever version of it it is. So our sites continue to be closed, but we are still doing homebound meals. And if people need it because they can't get out, they can call us. They call 807-0241. And that's 845-807-0241. And if they need Meals on Wheels or they're over 60 and need supports, they give us a call and we will register them if they're not already registered. And we will help them out. We're dealing with social isolation still and people not being able to see their families and loved ones. It's a challenging time and I'm hoping to see an end in sight. But every time we turn around, every time we think we're good, there's another surge, another version and We're just trying to do what we can do to keep people safe and supported at home. Since you are the director of the Office for the Aging, who are some of these
2: people that you're thinking of when you're talking to me now about who you're servicing, providing support for? Who are some of these neighbors of ours?
5: There's a lot of people that prior to the pandemic really enjoyed going to our senior sites for our, our congregate meals Monday through Friday in their local towns, and they haven't been able to do that since March of 2020. That was not just a meal, that most of it is the social interaction with their, their neighbors and their friends. We haven't been able to open those sites because it's just, we can't find a way to do it safely because you need to social distance while you eat and always wear a mask around people. How, how is that doable when you're serving a meal? So there's a challenge. And obviously, we all know the challenges of labor shortages affecting everything. So we have people that are, God bless them, we have our part-time nutrition staff that is running around delivering meals that normally was running sites. So everyone is working really hard to keep our neighbors fed. There's people that don't have a lot of family or don't have family nearby, that those sites were their lifeline. And that was our way of seeing them. So some of them have transitioned to homebound meals. And some of them, you know, we just call repeatedly to make sure they're good. Um, But it's still very, very challenging. We're in the
2: new year in 2022. And just for that surge to hit as we were entering the holidays and, and this new year, I have this hope i mean need to believe that somehow this crisis has changed things in a way that will improve our present and future what is your perspective on that
5: i think what highlighted immediately was the food insecurity in the county and how we could help address it and it opened up conversations and partnerships that were sort of there before but are very much there now Every Thursday, we're still hosting a uh, food pantry distribution for f- local food pantries. We've been able to increase capacity for pantries that were maybe open once a month. Now they're opening weekly because we get a, a weekly shipment from the food bank of the Hudson Valley. And it also helps support our homebound seniors with extra stuff on top of our meals. So we've been able to get the fresh produce and, and dairy and milk products you know, from the, the food bank. And everyone's it's a win for everyone. But it's also... We're getting more organized now with other community partners to make sure that we're all looking at the same goal and that we're hitting as many people who need help as possible. And that's been a huge win if, if you want to look at it that way throughout the pandemic is definitely increasing collaboration and partnerships. There was a lot of silos and I still think there are some silos, but I think this, if anything, has broken down a lot of that. So if anything, forcing us to say okay how can we work best together so that we're more efficient and that's been a win. Is there anything else you'd like to share with us? Get vaccinated, <laughs> wear your mask and hopefully we could get through this. Our seniors actually are we have the a very good percentage of our seniors vaccinated and boosted. If we can get that throughout the whole population we can hopefully return to some sort of normalcy. Thank you. Lizanne Duell. Solomon County Office for the Aging.
2: Laura. So I hear people say, Oh, things are okay now, right? They're used to what's been happening. But I know there's so many people who their lives really erupted with the pandemic and We're just coming on two years now, and a lot of the services that had been available aren't anymore through the federal government. So I'm just wondering, what can you share with us and what can we do? What can somebody, what can the the community members do? But also, if you can share with us maybe some of the specifics of who are some of these people that are really struggling right now and need our support.
3: You know, there are people who have fared the pandemic so far pretty well, right? They wear their mask. They got their vaccine. They're boosted. They didn't lose their job. They didn't have any major disruptions. They didn't lose any loved ones, right? But there are a lot of people who had a completely different experience. We have people that cannot go back to work because there's no childcare available and the schools are virtual and not virtual and whatever. So women especially have made the decision to check out of the workforce. We had a labor shortage before the pandemic. It is so much worse now. Primarily for us, it's childcare and we've had a lot of people that have just retired and that's it. And so the impact on small business and on other larger businesses is really really big. And then you have a situation where you can be you can work in an environment with this whole thing has been politicized when it really was a medical issue. And It's very difficult to have conversations with people. Sometimes people that you love, people near and dear to you, um, that you just want to be like, get vaccinated, get vaccinated. We can all go back to normal. Just get vaccinated and it'll all be good. Um, And I'm concerned about people saying that, oh, Omicron, it's, it's just like having a cold or this or that. But you know what? I know people that are long haulers with COVID and that have taken a very long time to recover. And you have no idea what the virus, even Omicron what long-term impacts that's going to have. And that concerns me for people's ability to go back to work, for people's ability to raise their family. So I think the ripple effect on this pandemic is going to be felt for quite a long time after. Yes, and
2: you're raising such important points. You know, I've just heard in the last month of people in our county who actually went across the river, a death, from COVID, an unvaccinated man. His wife made it through okay, but he did not. And then of course there's, you know, a chiropractor and his wife in Ellenville who died who didn't believe in vaccinations. And that is very sad and traumatic actually to hear people who knew these people who were friends with them, to share these stories and also frustration. So it's this politicizing of a medical mm-hmm. crisis that you just shared with us. And it takes a toll, I feel, on our whole community. And, and really, I mean, we can expand that out right. to obviously um, to the state, to the country, to the world mm-hmm. of, of just these risks and the feeling of being out of control around all of these yeah. risks. Right. How do we get through this? I mean, from your position as, as the commissioner, you know, um, working as you are, coming up with strategies.
3: But like, what do we do? For me, if I could wave a magic wand, um, I, if everybody could take a moment and remember that they're part of a community and as such, they have a responsibility and whatever that responsibility might be. And if everybody would just step up and do something, we could really help the community overall Um, I mean, we reach as many people as we can, but we know we're not reaching everyone. Um, And so if everybody did their part, then I think that that would that would go a long way. I think the isolation, the shutdown, the isolation, the quarantines, I think it it kind of shook up the sense of community. And I think we have to get back to that, maybe redefine it, make it stronger. But I would like to see people remember that they're all part of a community.
2: Thank you, Laura. Anything else you'd like to add? And then I'll see if, if any of the, um, the workers that are here today, right? Volunteers mm-hmm. and, and county employees are here dispensing the KN95 masks. Uh, see if they'd like to share anything with me. Is there anything else, though, you'd like to share with our listeners?
3: Just really from an informational point that even though today and tomorrow is when we're doing this big drive-through for the mask distribution, um, it's not the only time that people can get masks. So they can call the Community Assistance Center and they can um, let us know we can get masks to people. They can come pick it up. We can arrange to make those things happen. And when we start to run out, we can get more from the state. So it's not a one-shot deal here, so people that aren't able to make it today or tomorrow, they absolutely can call us, and we can get masks to them. And that's really the most important thing. And are there
2: going to be any outposts, you know, like at the grocery market or at the gas station or at the, you know, at, at different places that people may be going where
3: masks can be distributed? We're, we're looking at different layers. Like right now, besides here, you can go to the government center, the security desk. They'll have masks. But we are looking at um, other layers that we used during the height of the pandemic. Um, We just, the masks came in and we wanted to get them out as fast as we could, and this was the quickest thing for us to set up. So now we're going to step back and say, okay, what are our other partners that we used before that we can step into? I just don't have that plan in place yet.
2: Yes. Well, and also a big difference between now and then is then, at the beginning of COVID, there were no masks. There was a huge... They were handmade. There was a shortage. Even essential workers, medical practitioners didn't have access to the amount of
3: masks. But then we were able to. We got the big shipments from the state and we put out about 18,000 masks. So we were able to get them out to the communities and stuff. And so, like I said, that's like I said before, this was like not a bit. We know how to do this. Mm -hmm. I just wish we didn't have to.
2: Yeah, I know. Laura. You mentioned if you had a wand and you were waving it and you shared some things with us. And I'm just wondering, to take us out, um, we're in a new year. What is for you, it could be personally, professionally, but for you, what
3: you want the most? Like I said before, I really want everybody to become part of a community once again like they were before, to kind of reconnect again, to help out more. There's pockets all over, but like as an overall community, to make that connection all over again. That's what I would really like. Thank you, Laura. Thank you very much. Thanks. Nice surprise. I know. Wonderful. <laughs> thank you. Laura Quigley, I'm the Commissioner of the Division of Community Resources for Sullivan County. Thank you, Laura.
6: Well,
2: thank you. Hi, Kelly.
5: Oh, yes. Boss
7: Kelly.
2: (laughs) Totally. Um, Hi there. Please introduce yourself.
7: Hi, I'm Kelly Saller, and i got a... What's my title? Coordinator of Services for the Aging. Okay. Well, Kelly, thank you so much. We're standing
2: in this uh, huge transportation warehouse in Sullivan County where KN95 masks are being distributed. The uh, doors are open on both sides. People are driving in and out. So I'm just wondering you're here today it's it's the holidays we're approaching the new year so um can you share what you've been experiencing both what are you doing with your job but also personally how are you feeling now two years into this
7: so this is a second go for us i don't know i'm sure laura and lizanne might have already told you but um so we were i'm an 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 original member of the emergency community assistance center so When the county first closed down in 2020, um, this is where we came. So uh, it's the band's all back together, just doing what we've what we did so well and at the beginning of 20 at the beginning of 2020, excuse me. um, And that's to try to help the residents of Sullivan County uh, stay safe. This this doesn't seem like it's going away at all. I mean, I think it's here, and I think it's going to be here for a while. We have to learn how to play nice with COVID, I think, um, and I guess mask distrib- distribution is one of those ways of playing nice. I guess I, you know, I, I really don't know. Uh, I don't know. I don't know where this is going to take us, but this is just one of the many different um, components of trying to keep the residents of Sullivan County safe. I have been lucky enough to not have been personally affected by COVID. Um, I have not but none of my family members, thank God, have been sick with COVID. Um, I have worked, um, I've never worked from home. Um, I've always, like I said, I was, I've always been working Uh, the one of the original members of ECAC. Um, and so I, I've never been home. I've always been in the thick of it. Um, so I thank God that I have not. And anyone that I've worked with, um, we've all have stayed pretty, uh, pretty healthy. Um, I have children in school systems. My daughter's in college, which was heavily affected by COVID. Her one uh, school year was pretty much completely uh, a waste. She lost her whole senior year um, of high school. So, um, I mean, we have been affected in that way. Um, But personally, I I just pray that everybody continues to stay safe. Um, Like I said earlier, we're not getting away from this. It's here. It's, um, it's not something that we can, we can hide from. So again, it just comes full circle back to keeping ourselves safe the best way that we know how.
2: And Kelly, during this
7: crisis, what do you want to see emerge? I think we all need to be a lot nicer to one another, (laughs) a lot nicer. You know, this is not something that should be tearing people apart, and it is, unfortunately. Um, It is politically, you know, it is religiously, uh, you know, it it has caused segregation in so many different avenues. It's unbelievable, and it shouldn't because we're not going to get through this however we get through it. Um, fighting and arguing and, and, you know, it's so that's I hope we just everyone, the, the you know, the world literally can just come together um, and help one another and just not argue, not argue. And, you know, regardless of our beliefs or our opinions, um, it's here. COVID is here. We, we can't, you know, so, um, yeah, that's that's pretty much it. <laughs>
2: Thank you, Kelly. Thank you. You're so welcome.
7: Kelly a coordinator of services for the aging.
2: Thank you.
6: Hi, please introduce yourself. My name is April Rodriguez Walsh. I am employed uh, with Sullivan County Center for Workforce Development. Uh, and I'm on vacation this week, but I decided to come by uh, and pick up the masks and then asked if they needed some help. So I volunteered to help out. Um, It's a great cause. ECAC has been doing so many wonderful things since COVID began. And it's just uh, the different departments chipping in to help out, you know, the county and our residents are one of the most important things we could do. Uh, Community is very important. Um, And we just hope that in 2022, the numbers go down and we could go back to living a somewhat uh, normal life, if you want to say that word. Um, but I, you know, I hope for good health for everyone in this county and everyone in New York and the United States of America. And thank you for taking the time out today to come and see what we're doing and giving the county some information because maybe they just don't know, and this might be a good outlet for them to to get that information. So thank you. You're so welcome. What is ECAC? ECAC stands for the Emergency Community Assistance Center. And how were you involved with ECAC? Well, when COVID began, um, our department at Center for Workforce Development kind of closed down because we share the office with Department of Labor. All state buildings were closed. so. Um, they picked up, you know, whoever wanted to volunteer to help man the phones because we had so many calls about the vaccine, when we we're going to get the vaccine. And then when we finally did get the vaccine, we were able to help make appointments. I assisted in, um, helping the, uh, Hispanic community because I speak Spanish and, and making appointments and letting them know where they can get their vaccines. And, uh, so it was great to help out, in, uh, all of the residents the English and Spanish people here so yes and last but not least I'd love the world to be safe and hopefully we the entire world would be helped with the masks, the protections the vaccines and thank you you're welcome my name is April Rodriguez Walsh and I'm an employee with the Center for Workforce Development in Sullivan County Thank you, April. Thank you. I'm Sabrina. I'm at the
2: Transportation Building in Sullivan County, New York. It's the holidays, and I've been speaking with employees of the county, volunteers who are here helping to distribute KN95 masks that were provided to the county through the state of New York. I was so happy leading up to the new year to be able to jump out of my car after I picked up my... KN 95 mask through the state mandated initiative to supply Sullivan County, New York with to begin 34,000 masks. And as was shared with me, the band was back together again and included Laura Quigley, Lisa Andule, Kelly Soller, and April Rodriguez Walsh. The mask distribution is continuing in Sullivan County, New York. And I would be interested to find out what kinds of programs are happening in other locations across the state and the country. Sullivan County Community Resources Commissioner Laura Quigley and Public Safety Commissioner Thomas Farney today announced that the county has distributed more than 21,000 of the 34,000 KN95 masks it received from the state last week and we will continue with the program this week. Laura Quigley said our drive-through days at the transportation building attracted hundreds of people and we've been working with our local towns, libraries and housing complexes to keep sending out what we've got. I welcome more complexes to give our community assistance center a call if they would like masks for residents. And this goes for all residents of Sullivan County. You're welcome to call 845-807-0925. If you need a K95 mask or need masks, arrangements can be made to get them for you. Earlier today, on January 5th, at the transportation building where I was fortunate to have the conversations for this episode, residents were welcome to pick up masks there. KN95 masks will also continue to be available at the government center during business hours. Again, the number for the community assistance center is 845 Two, five. From the kitchen table out on the road. I'm Sabrina Artell. Thanks for joining me for Sabrina Artell's Trailer Talk. The music for the show, Patty Smith. People have the power. Trailer Talk is produced by Sabrina Artell. For more information, please visit Trailertalk.net. Special thanks to WJFF Radio Catskill and the numerous people who have donated their time, resources, and conversations to make Trailer Talk possible. Thank you all who joined me in these conversations. I'm Sabrina Artel, safe travels.
0: Tomorrow marks one year since the violent insurrection at the U.S. Capitol. Join Radio Catskill for special live coverage from NPR starting at 9 with an address from President Biden and Vice President Harris. At noon, it's live coverage from the House of Representatives, including remarks from the Speaker and a moment of silence. Hosts and correspondents include Steve Inskeep, A. Martinez, Mara Lyason, Domenico Montaro, Franco Ordonez, and Claudia Grisales. January 6th, special live coverage from NPR, tomorrow morning at 9 on Radio Catskill. Hey, all you music
4: lovers out there, this is Thane Peterson, host of WJFF's Living Jazz Show. Every Friday from noon to 2, I bring you the very best of the current jazz scene with a little bit of classic jazz thrown into the mix. Please join me every Friday from noon to two for living jazz with Thane Peterson
2: you're listening to Radio Catskill
3: on air online on your smartphone and on your smart speaker
2: welcome to Sabrina Artel's trailer talk I'll bring you all kinds of stories from all kinds of people Whether it's a live public conversation and we're speaking from the kitchen table of my 1965 Beeline Travel Trailer, from the studios or on the streets, please sit back and enjoy the conversation right here this time every week. As we begin a new year, I am sharing with you some of the voices of Trailer Talks in the Neighborhood series. As I sink into the reality of another surge and so many challenges... I rely on and am fortified by all of you as participants, as listeners, as part of a vision to engage in the world, to make it better, to connect with each other, to use your voices and skills in service to community. Power to the people in 2022. I am sitting in my trailer with Wendy Townsend, who I am so excited is joining me at this kitchen table. I saw some photographs of her moving these large snapping turtles. And and then I discovered an essay that she wrote. And I was so moved by it. She so beautifully constructed this essay to describe her connection to the natural world, to conservation, to this world that we share with our fellow creatures and what's happening with them. This essay is called The Diary of a Conservationist, Protecting Animals in a Fallen World.
8: Thank you for having me, Sabrina. I'm really touched that you were so moved by the, the essay and I hope that I would affect the reader. I, it's good to feel something about what happens to the, these creatures whose lives go unnoticed very often. So anyway, yeah, I'm a reptile monitor. Uh, I have been doing that for four years. When there's construction uh, or um, restoration of a uh, utility, a gas or electric pipeline going on, or a project... involves heavy machinery within range of um, a threatened species like the timber rattlesnake or the Blandings turtle, then the DEC requires um, a wildlife or reptile monitor to be present during work hours.
2: That's the Department of Environmental Conservation.
8: So that's been my job for the last few years.
2: So you're a reptile monitor. So you're a conservationist. You mentioned the Blandings turtle. So they're a local... Threatened turtle. Yeah, that,
8: their range has really shrunk down. It's very small. I wouldn't say there are any right here where we are in Calicoon, but um, they have been seen in fish kill. There are a lot of them. There's a healthy population on the New York-Canadian border. And I know that there are some in Canada and I believe Minnesota. Uh, mostly around here, I've been monitoring for timber rattlesnakes um, when there's work on a pipeline.
2: So you mentioned the timber rattlesnakes, can you share with us then a little bit about them and are they threatened?
8: In my opinion, all wildlife is threatened. Timber rattlesnakes, their populations are in decline. Um, the females give birth every three to five years, and the young are very vulnerable. They're preyed on by turkeys, hawks, um, bears, any, any animal, and they the survival rate is not good, maybe one in 10. Um, survive. They're shy animals and they have to return to ancestral dens. They're not just randomly crawling around in the woods looking for people to bite. You know, they they are, um, they have lives. There's a lot of research going on out west with the uh, uh, the maternal behavior of some rattlesnakes and the, the way the the mothers look after the young for a little while before they're on their own. You know, I've visited a den during the spring Aggression, and I've sat down, and they've—they've they've been all around me, kind of tucked into rocks here and there, just sharing the sunshine and the spring air, and it—but uh, it puts me at ease. I feel—I mean, obviously cautious. I mean, I'm going to watch where I step, you know. You're—you're you're mindful because they will defend themselves, and they are uh, venomous. But as non-human beings, their presence. Um, is very, you know, I I find my blood pressure goes down. And that's funny, because so many other people say it would go through the roof. But I just, you know, if you're careful and respectful and calm, you can be near these animals who have been here for 1000s of years. And for me, that's a very moving experience. And it connects me to the land and the, you know, the beautiful woods or the habitat that I happen to be sitting in. And I feel that way about you know, I've traveled to other, to Jamaica to see female iguanas, the Jamaican iguanas, nesting, and I have the same feelings about these animals. And it takes me back to being a child when I would, you know, find little snapping turtles and or, or pull the leeches off of bigger ones. And, and they wouldn't snap at me. I mean, they, just if you're, again, if you're just calm and respectful and gentle, I believe that animals have a keen emotional intelligence. And we've always been so busy testing their cognitive skills in some sort of, you know, like maze. Or do they perform like a a dog or a rat or a chimpanzee? And no, that's not what they are. I mean, well, more than just the global ecosystems that we rely on for food and water and air and healthy soil and uh, oceans and fisheries and so forth is is the... uh, I just I can't imagine a planet where there are only people I you know if you try to get your mind around that emotionally or spiritually even if you live in the city I don't see how the planet can be sustained and I know many many people like me who would be very very unhappy who are unhappy witnessing the disappearance of turtles, snakes lizards ocean life you know It's a difficult thing to speak about.
2: My guest is Wendy Townsend. We are speaking from my trailer in Sullivan County, New York. Wendy is a reptile monitor and a writer, published author. We are talking about the work that she does and the connection between that work she does on site to monitor and rescue wildlife, reptiles, and also her as a writer and how she's expressing her connection to wildlife and the work that she does through through these writings. She has written three books for young readers. There's an essay called The Diary of a Conservationist, Protecting Animals in a Fallen World. She's going to read some excerpts from that for us. She's also working on a book about the iguanas in Jamaica. We're talking about these deeper issues of our connection as human beings to this world that we we need. Wendy is sharing with us this challenge that we have right now in a world where more and more of our ecosystems are being destroyed. So Wendy, I'm wondering if you want to read some excerpts from your essay.
8: Um. Every day, the unnoticed lives of countless animals are cut short by our activities, and there's nothing I can do about it. That's my adult matter-of-fact tone I use when I have to distance myself from grief that's too much to carry. But the grief has to go somewhere. Since I was ten years old, it often manifests in stomach trouble. Sometimes I put my hands there and my face scrunches up because the suffering of the frogs and turtles and snakes and lizards is there, the whole world of it. And I want to go back to being a child when I believed that protecting animals was something I could do.
2: I am excited to be speaking with Judge Josephine Finn. She is a judge in Monticello, New York, in the Sullivan County Catskills. She is a former community college professor and also a lawyer. And I want to invite all of you to join us for this virtual episode of Trailer Talk to imagine that you are in and around the Beeline Travel trailer and that you are gathered with us around the kitchen table as Josephine Finn and I have this conversation. So welcome to Trailer Talk, Josephine.
9: Thank you. My pleasure.
2: You said something just before... We started recording where you said, it all starts at home. So let's start there. Let's start with home and what that means for you and a little bit about who you are, how you would describe yourself for our listeners and what that means to you that it all starts at home.
9: Well, to do that, I'd have to go back to well before I was born when my grandparents came to Sullivan County, New York specifically the village of monticello and they built a church and it was back in the 1930s and I came along some years later and was raised in that church and so that's where it all started for me my grandfather built that church with his hands it stands today uh, one of my cousins is the pastor that's where I got my beginning i I, I feel that's where I got my spiritual development my interest in service uh, to my community and um the very uh, building blocks of who I am started right there.
2: And what are those building blocks that you're referring to and your interest in service?
9: Well, the major thing I have uh, in my mind that sticks with me my entire life is is very simple, uh, one of the commandments. And um, that is do unto others as you would have them do unto you. That just stuck with me my whole life. And so I also had to go along with that, a desire to see the world be a better place than what I found. So it was always somehow in me, and I'm not quite sure how that got there, but it was just always in me to always want to see something more than what I found. Now, I can trace that back perhaps to my own, you know, grandparents and parents, who always wanted to be helpful in the community. So I, I guess you pick up those things at home.
2: Your community is one that you're serving as a judge at present. You have also been elected to the New York State Board of Regents. So your commitment to education and your interest in that is a long one. And also you are a former professor at Sullivan Community College, SUNY Sullivan which is based in Sullivan County, New York. Uh, And I'm sure I'm leaving some things out, but so your ties to the community are from uh, you, as you described being born here, also a legal one and as an advisor, as a judge, and then also as an educator. So where would you like to begin with this these roots of home that you're sharing with us Mm -hmm. and how that then took you to some places where you are now and how you're serving the community where you live.
9: Well, you know, the interesting thing about all of that is when I look back on my life, I didn't seek out any of those things. I didn't seek out to be a professor. I didn't seek out the board of regents. I didn't seek out being a judge at first. Um, I was appointed as a judge in the 90s by the then mayor, and I served for a couple of years, I think, and and then I forgot about it. I went on with my life until I ran um for judge. The first time I ran, I think it was in the late 90s, and uh, I actually lost that election. It was about 34 or 5 votes. That's what happens in a small village. <laughs> and I went on about my business and people came back to me and said, please, you were so close. Would you run again? And I thought, I don't really want to do this. They said, no, please, we will absolutely support you. And so I ran and I won. And that was in 2002. And I'm still the judge to this day. I am in my fifth term. The only time I was ever opposed really was in my first term. And after that, I didn't even have any opposition, which is a little bit to my chagrin because I think, you know, somebody should run <laughs> i don't think it should just be a you know a given
6: right um,
9: but but somehow people just wanted me to stay there and um even as i get ready to retire people are asking me please don't go but you know you got to know when to say when you really do my guest
2: is David Jett, a resident of Sullivan County, New York, and he has been engaged with activism around racial justice, equity, police reform initiatives, and he is a mentor with My Brother's Keeper. Welcome, David.
10: Thank you, Sabrina.
2: So, David, I'm wondering how you would describe yourself.
10: I identify as an African-American heterosexual male. I take pride in being a father. I am a proud American who sees the potential of this great nation, but feels the pain of the two different Americas that might exist based on ethnic bias.
2: So let's begin with My Brother's Keeper. Let's start there.
10: My Brother's Keeper started off as an initiative from the Obama Foundation intended to change the outcomes for young men of color. Um, benchmark goals would be working with students to make sure that they're on grade level and reading by third grade. So one of the things we were doing here in Sullivan County was we were running a, an elementary book club. One of the outcomes is believing in second chances. So Identifying students who might need that little extra support, who might need some guidance and mentorship, some fellowship, or maybe just haven't identified somebody on that school campus specifically that they could turn to for help and support and provide that academic support, the encouragement, various aspects like that.
2: Thank you, David. How would you describe the community where you live in the Catskills? What are some of the needs?
10: Sullivan County is one of those places that on the surface comes off extremely conservative and unaware of the growing diversity that's happening by the minute. A lot of blue collar workers. Um, One of the biggest employers in the county is the prison system. Flip side of it, there's a lot of great work going on as well and um there's a lot of people doing like direct support care i specifically work in the education setting with autistic students it's a very beautiful wonderful place
2: it's a complicated place right
3: this
10: place <laughs> that we bo-
2: that we both call home it's complicated it's a small town rural community and there're definitely um things that are happening and i i welcome this conversation because you're really you're focusing on areas of deficit in the county and and through your own interest in racial equity you're focused as a mentor with my brother's keeper and on the the site for my brother's keeper which as you mentioned obama founded and it came out of a horrible killing, a fatal shooting of Trayvon Martin and My Brother's Keeper came out of that act of violence, which sadly, uh, because of so much embedded racism, was not an unusual killing. And since then, there have been so many. It states states on, on the site, it says that It says, within the Obama Foundation, My Brothers Keeper Alliance focuses on building safe and supportive communities for boys and young men of color where they feel valued and have clear pathways to opportunity. And David, you mentioned with this mentoring that you were doing in the schools, with the reading club. So that's connected to these pathways of opportunity.
10: Oftentimes, best practices will show you that being on grade level by third grade and reading is a telltale sign for future success, especially in terms of graduating and moving on to post-secondary education.
2: How did you become involved yourself in in being a mentor, in your own decision to become active with racial justice initiatives, with raising awareness in your community, with being an advocate. How did that happen when you think about Um,
10: that? I'll start with a specific story, getting involved locally with My Brother's Keeper, and then I'll move it more personally. But um, as I heard about the initiative being brought here to Sullivan County, a co-worker actually had her children being involved And I was told a story of an open gym situation where some mischievous students may have ruined their opportunity to play. And it was brought to me like they might need some mentors or chaperones there in the gym with them as they play basketball to minimize the mischievousness. And so I gathered some gentlemen who I'd been regularly playing basketball with And we were volunteering our time to go in and play basketball with these high school students. And it would provide a two-sided coin, per se, where not only were we there to offer that extra supervision, but also we gave them people to interact with, mentor with, and also play basketball together. That's how specifically I started to get involved with My Brother's Keeper locally here in Sullivan County.
2: I am really excited to be speaking with Maya K. Van Rossum. She has been called the voice of the Delaware River. She has served as the Delaware River Keeper and a leader of the Delaware Riverkeeper Network since 1994. Maya is also the founder of the National Green Amendment Movement and has written the Green Amendment, Securing Our Right to a Healthy Environment. Welcome to Trailer Talk, Maya. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate the opportunity. And I'm really happy that we could be in this conversation because there's something to celebrate. There was just a huge victory with a fracking ban in the Delaware River Basin. And I'm wondering if you could share with us, what does this mean? And what kind of victory is this
11: fracking ban? So this is a really powerful victory that is a direct result of the power of the people coming together to stand up for protection for our beautiful Delaware River and all the communities that depend upon it. We actually, way back in 2010, before fracking even got started in the boundaries of the Delaware River watershed, we got put in place a moratorium against all aspects of the industry anywhere within our watershed through the Delaware River Basin Commission. Ever since that time, we have been battling to get that moratorium that truthfully could have been lifted at any time, turned into a permanent ban. And so last week, Thursday on February 25th, the Delaware River Basin Commission commissioners voted to ban permanently drilling and fracking anywhere within the boundaries of the watershed, but they did leave open They did leave open the question about whether or not toxic frack wastewater would eventually be allowed to be imported into our watershed for treatment, storage and disposal, and whether water exports, taking water out of our watershed to help support fracking elsewhere would be allowed to take place. Prohibitions on both of those were part of the original moratorium. Um, So this decision last week While it banned the drilling and fracking, it says that come fall, there will be a proposal on whether or not and or to what degree to ban the toxic frack wastewater and the water export. So we are well on our path to taking that moratorium that could have been lifted at any time and turning it into a complete ban on the fracking industry in our watershed, which is so powerful. And it's all because the people banded together and demanded it. You said it's a
2: victory to the power of the people. And and I might add, I have been at the DRBC commission where you were one of the incredible advocates leading this charge to ban fracking I've been in Albany, where you also to be that voice, to share why, why we need these bans and why it's so important to protect and not only to protect, but to build protections in for the future. So when you say the DRBC, that's the Delaware River Basin Commission, that involves a few states. So we're talking about a huge victory with this ban. And as you say, it's not over yet. There's still other issues. If you could share with our listeners the scale, what this means, what kind of water the Delaware River provides across the country.
11: The ramifications of this success are far reaching geographically, but also in time, generationally. The Delaware River is the drinking water supply of over 15 million people. We have gone a long way to support a lot of people from New York City all the way down. The Delaware River in a clean and healthy state drives $22 billion of annual economic benefit for our region. It is the home to incredible species like the bald eagle and the horseshoe crab. It is the stopover of migratory shorebirds, all of these important species to the quality of our lives, recreationally, economically, species like the horseshoe crab actually are fundamentally important to supporting vaccinations on all sorts of fronts because of a really important characteristic that comes with wow. in the blood of the horseshoe crab. So people don't even know how powerful and important all aspects of our watershed and all the living resources are to every aspect of their lives. Hi,
1: my name is Ashley. I'm from Monticello, New York. Ashley Walker.
2: Hi, Ashley. So you are wearing a Black Lives Matter face mask, and we are here for this memorial for Breonna Taylor and also to really look at these issues around policing, both nationally and, of course, in the state of New York. So I'm wondering, please share with me what your thoughts are around this day, this tragic anniversary of the murder of brianna taylor
1: um we're definitely here because we want to show that we remember brianna and we're here to show awareness of the injustices that are happening on happening on black and brown people and we're here to promote police reform because it is needed because they are targeting our community the african-american community and we just
2: need a big change and what kind of change do you want to see locally here in your neighborhood in Monticello, New York, Ashley?
1: I want to see them um, to stop targeting areas where people of color live, communities. I want them to um, just be more culturally aware of the population and, you know, just uh, treat us with respect like you treat any other white person. You should be treating Black people with the same respect and dignity.
2: And what brought you to become an activist and to show up here and and if you can share with us other ways you've been involved in your community.
1: Yes um, I've been involved in the community with many protests I'm part of the Young Democrats Association so we do protests here Fallsburg Liberty we also done a couple protests for police reform because um, certain areas were giving us a problem with that even though it's stated by our governor. What led me to become involved is just seeing all these African-Americans being targeted by police and being mistreated and dying. A lot of them are dying or having horrible mental health issues because of the injustice. And I just knew I was trying to make a stand. You know, I have, I have older siblings. I have brothers and I, I don't want them to be attacked. I don't think anybody deserves to be treated. The way that police officers treat african americans
2: has this year of the pandemic shifted anything for you the events that have happened around black lives the election the pandemic definitely changed a couple
1: things for me i had lost a job through the school district but with the pandemic and being an activist it hasn't really stopped us at all everyone just comes out we wear masks everyone's social distance you know and we're still bringing awareness and that's all we want to do, no matter if it's a pandemic, whether it's snowing or raining, we want to be out here.
2: From the kitchen table, out on the road, I'm Sabrina Artel. Thanks for joining me for Sabrina Artel's Trailer Talk. The music for the show, Patty Smith, People Have the Power. Trailer Talk is produced by Sabrina Artel. For more information, please visit trailertalk.net. Special thanks to WJFF Radio Catskill and the numerous people who have donated their time, resources, and conversations to make Trailer Talk possible. Thank you all who joined me in these conversations. I'm Sabrina Artel. Safe travels.
8: Here we come a wassailing among the leaves of green Here we come a-wanderin' so fairly to be seen now is winter time strangers travel far and near and we wish you winter was the season
5: when country people used to sing to their apple trees to promote a good harvest it's called wassailing and there are some great wassail songs we'll be hearing the best in the waggle monkeys with me Graham Rice here on Radio Catskill Sunday afternoon at three
0: WJFF Jeffersonville
3: Public Radio for the
2: Catskills and Northeast Pennsylvania Radio Catskill.
0: From river to river, mountain to mountain, keeping you connected.
3: Support comes from the Law Office of John Ferrara in Monticello, providing legal services in the areas of matrimonial and family law and criminal defense john.ferrara557 at gmail.com.
0: Support comes from The Vintage House on Main Street, Jeffersonville, featuring eclectic furnishings, clothing, antiques, records, and books in a charming 19th century house. VintageHouseJVille.com and on Instagram at VintageHouseJVille.